The Start On Demand. On demand. Ten days mandatory paid sick leave. That's what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is pushing for. Good idea or bad? We'll ask the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. With vacation plans for many of us squashed for this summer, will you be exploring Manitoba more? We'll speak with Destination Canada about the tourism industry and we'll head to Churchill to speak to the mayor to see how they're doing in the wake of nobody coming to visit them. Street racing continues in Bridgewater. We'll hear from City Councillor Janice Lukes with her passionate and personal plea to get people to slow down. And what movie endings do you hate? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, May 26th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Start. I got to tell you, Greg, I, uh, I hate getting old, man. Went golfing <laughs> yesterday, and uh, yeah. and it just everything is sore. Uh, the, the whole drive home, my right <laughs> knee is just throbbing. My back is sore. My shoulder is sore. I need to book a massage at uh, the Pure Escape, go back and see Rosario. Uh, yeah, getting old sucks. And, Loren, uh, I mean, we're at the same age. I don't know. Do you feel the same aches and pains whenever you do anything physical now? Nope. I am a medical marvel for a 42-year-old Brett. That's what they call me, a medical marvel. No pain. No pain. No gain, brother. You got to just keep going. Where are you, Adam Big Hill, Loren? Or are you, you know, Loren Big Hill, Loren Whitehead? Who are Guys, you over there? Wait till you see me again. Just gonna come in all svelte and fit. <laughs> I, I, I was lifting weights while you were talking. That's what I've been doing with my time at home. Oh yeah, you just got a got a thirty pound dumbbell beside you, just casually doing some some just drop one curls. One arm, one arm. Damn you, fifteens. What are you doing? Pull, what are you doing? Pulling your minivan or, or around the uh, around the cul-de-sac? What got are you ni- doing? You got a nice Chevy Cruze that weighs probably what twelve hundred pounds or something. I think, they, I think they come in around three thousand. I think mine's oh, really? close to three thousand pounds. Uh, I'm not entirely okay. sure on that. I'm sure one of our listeners will know what a sub uh, a compact sedan <laughs> weigh. I think that oh, the ballpark yeah, within, is probably within about twelve percent of the body weight too. Right? They'll know exactly how much it weighs. Hey, I learned something just on the subject of body weight, Greg. I learned something yesterday that I don't—I don't know if it's true, but uh, someone told me that you're supposed to consume half of your body weight in water every day. Have what? You, have you heard anything like that? No. <laughs> How is that even possible? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't—I didn't verify it, but that's a lot of—that's a lot of water. So I need to look <laughs> yeah. that up. Somebody was pulling your leg on that I, one. I, I think. don't know, man. I don't know. It sounds—I'm I'm just going to take a sip while we're. While we're going on here, I think I think you'd be perpetually uh, at the toilet if that's uh, what you did. So well, no, we, I I I, I ixnay that half uh, your butt. No way. Uh, well, I'll go, we'll 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 get to the bottom of that. We'll get to the bottom of that. But lots to discuss today. Uh, we, we heard in Jeff Braun's newscast, tourism in COVID nineteen is uh, I think Skyler Skyler Peters. How did he put it? You're with our summer vacation plans mothballed. Loren, that's kind of an apt way to put it. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, there's so, everything's changed for everyone, no matter what kind of side of the coin you're on. You might have a job that's been changed. Your income levels have really been adjusted over the last little while, so that might impact doing anything at all. And then there's just the idea that you're not really supposed to be going a lot of places, uh, whether that be interprovincially or you can't go south of the border right now. And so... Uh, tourism is going to take a huge hit this summer uh, unless we start thinking about ways that we could potentially help out, whether, you know, visiting things in our own backyard or going a little farther, a couple hours drive away. So we've got lots to talk about uh, at this this morning. After eight, we're going to talk to Destination Canada. Their job is actually to market Canada to the rest of the world, which, of course, international travel is probably way off down the road for many people. And so they're going to look at ways to uh, potentially market within Canada and how to get people talking about their own province or their own city. And then at 9.35, we're going to go to Churchill. I mean, think about it a few years ago. That rail line washed out. They weren't moving any people or hardly any people or goods in and out of that community. They rallied and fixed the rail line and got back on their feet. And now Churchill is going to, the mayor of Churchill is going to come on and talk to us about what their plans are, how they will supplement any lost tourism revenue, because that might be a destination a lot of people don't get to this year either, Greg. Yeah, well, and when you think about the notoriety that Churchill's gained over the last decade or so, uh, on the top of so many lists, not only for us in Manitoba, I think if you ask any Manitoban that's never been to Churchill, would you like to go? Most people would say, yeah, it's actually one of the like top four or five things I'd like to do, but for whatever reason, uh, we do other things instead. But it's notoriety internationally is unparalleled in terms of a tourist destination in Manitoba. So on the heels of gaining that notoriety and dozens of, of publications and topping several lists over the last year or two, yeah, that's got to be a tough pill to swallow. So uh, Churchill just doesn't seem to be able to get a break. And uh, looking forward to visiting there in person one day myself, but we'll go up there uh, this morning as well. Turns out I left out an important detail on the uh, the water thing. It's uh, half of your body weight in ounces. Yeah. <laughs> now that makes sense. Now, Brett, did you see the text from Tim? He wrote in just a few minutes ago to say, hey, if you believe the thing about, a wa- about the water, I have a business opportunity involving a bridge for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I was hunting for a golf ball when that information was relayed. This guy will relayed. buy anything. <laughs> <laughs> I have always been gullible. I've always been gullible, but uh, I just I clearly missed an important detail in that. So, so uh, for me, for example, I I'm over just under 200 pounds, so around 100 ounces of water. That's uh, three liters in a day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, do you remember this scene from a famous film? I'll never let go. I promise. And then she let him go. Rose telling Jack in Titanic, I'll never let go. And as she lets him go and sink to the bottom of the ocean. Greg, we didn't have a chance to discuss this yesterday, uh, but you spotted something over the weekend. Why are we talking about Titanic? I'm not exactly sure why it ended up going viral. There was some sort of virtual watch party going on. And then, of course, inevitably it comes around to why in the heck didn't Jack just get on the headboard or the plank or whatever 
it was that Rose was floating on the piece of furniture. And then the debates start about whether or not they could have fit. This has been uh, tried. It has, there have been experiments. There have been uh, calculations of, of whether or not they both could have fit on the piece of, uh, the piece of wood. And I'm actually looking at a physics uh, buzz <laughs> website right now that talks about the buoyancy of the of the of the piece of wood as a factor in this entire thing. So um, yeah, when scientists get involved in something as trivial as the end of a fictitious movie, you know it's creating a, a, a real controversy. Well, that prompted the question: Is there an ending to a film or perhaps a television series that you hate, that you despise, or maybe don't don't not hate, but are, we're left disappointed. So why don't we start with my co-host of the Couch Potatoes, Jeff Braun. Uh, what have you got for us here, Jeff? Well, first, for one thing, there was plenty of other debris around him. He could have found another piece of wood or something <laughs> to slow down. After all the effort they expended trying to, you know, not die in the sinking of that boat, then to just give up in the last minute, there's like, oh, we're in the water. I guess I'm dead. I mean, that was kind of dumb. But, but the story doesn't work if he lives through it, so... There you go. Um, I chose uh, uh, my favorite show, and I've defended the finale for years and years and years, but if I'm completely honest with myself, the ending of Seinfeld was very good. I can think of nothing more fitting than for the four of you to spend a year removed from society so that you can contemplate the manner in which you have conducted yourselves. I know I will. <laughs> now, I like the premise of the ending with the, with the court case and sending them to jail for a year. I thought that was fitting, but the problem is with the episode is that most of it's a clip show and there are like minutes long chunks of it where none of the four main characters even have lines. They're on trial and they're just sitting there at the desk in front of the judge while the lawyers go back and forth and clips play. And Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer just sit there passively, not doing anything for most of the series finale. Fair enough. I remember being disappointed with the finale, and uh, I, I really should just go back and revisit it. Kelly Moore, what about you? Anything spring to mind? No, you know, and I have really been trying all morning long to figure out what I could offer to this. And, and I guess the only thing... <laughs> Breaking Bad was uh, a series, uh, not so much that I was disappointed with the finale, but I just didn't want it to end. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought, yeah, I, I just thought, you know, that it, it it could have still gone for a couple more seasons. It really went out on a high note. So that's the best I can do. And as far as Jack letting go, well, it wouldn't have been a true love story if he'd have hung on as far as I'm concerned. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Forte? Me? Well, uh, it's got to be... Back to the Future Part 2. Oh. Because it doesn't really end. It just to be continued. It's a movie. It's supposed to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. <laughs> well, it's part of a trilogy. I know, it's but... It's the it's middle still, part. I know, but at least the first one, you know, it ended, but then, you know, it kind of left you on a hanger. This one was just to be continued. But that's because the Part 3 was coming, and it was I coming know. soon. I know, but Do still... Do you say that about every middle install installation or, or installment? That's the word I'm looking for. Like, The Empire Strikes Back, for example. Well, I, I, I haven't watched Star Wars, so <laughs> I'm out of that one. No, but yeah, just like, if I were to see that in theaters, I would have been like, well, how does it end? What's going on? No. Well, you must have really... Have you ever seen The Matrix Reloaded? No. Oh. <laughs> well, no, Dave, don't bow your head in shame, but that ends just like on a hard-out cliffhanger. 
But that's because the new one was coming like six months later. So, but that's fair. That's fair. It it left you hanging. Left yes. you disappointed. I want to watch. I gotta watch. We've talked a lot about Back to the Future in recent weeks. I gotta go back and watch Part Two and Three again. Loren McNabb, how about you? Well, it's funny he brought that up because I was telling you guys how we watched the first Back to the Future with the kids. And so a couple days after that, we chose to watch the second. And it was um, hilarious how it got to the end and this to be continued. And it's the first experience of that for my kids. And they're like, what does that even mean? I was like, well, it means it's not over. They're like, right. So is it going to keep like, does, it, does the next movie keep st- start right now? And I was like, well, back then you would have had to wait like a couple years for this. Of course, we could just queue it up, but it was cute to see that whole, what does this mean? Um, For me, the one, you know, I'm a huge Office fan. I did not like that series finale. I just thought it was, it was too cheesy and everybody was happy in the end and Dwight and Angela were married and Jim and Pam were happy and Andy found himself. It was like, there was all these bows tied and I just, I was supremely disappointed in that one. We are getting a lot of text messages as well uh, from Evelyn, from Dawn, from uh, Joanne. The Sopranos, that ending yep. seemed like such a non-ending. We expected a movie to tie up the loose ends, but unfortunately, unfortunately, Tony, uh, James Gandolfini died and made that impossible. But And Jason as well saying Game of Thrones. John saying Deadwood. Wow, a lot of hate for <laughs> HBO series. Mackling, uh, what about you? Well, I've always said that Hollywood is terrible at A, coming up with new material. There's basically four stories in Hollywood and ending things. And so I challenge you to come up with movies that have really good endings that wrap it up, that have you walking away going, oh, yeah, that all makes sense. I guess I just in general aren't i'm not impressed with the way that hollywood likes to end movies i hate the movies that end with and then six months later you just spent uh, two hours involved in somebody's life uh, that tells the story of five days of them together and then you jump forward six months to try and wrap it up in 97 seconds thank you no Nobody should have to choose between staying home with COVID-19 symptoms or being able to afford rent or groceries. That's why the government will continue discussions with the provinces without delay on ensuring that as we enter the recovery phase of the pandemic, every worker in Canada who needs it has access to 10 days of paid sick leave a year. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau promising yesterday his government was working towards a program that would bring in national sick leave guarantee. The first part of the program is just short-term, Brett, so that people who might be sick during this pandemic don't go into work and risk spreading the virus. But Trudeau also said the federal government is looking at other mechanisms to support workers, meaning the push for a mandatory 10-day sick leave at any job could become permanent, Loren. Could is the key word here, but of course, whenever these ideas are pushed out there, employees will start asking questions and so will employers and businesses. And so Jonathan Albert is the Prairie Director for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and he joins us now. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. You know, it might be three days that people might get. It might be 10 days of sick league. It might be somewhere in between or none at all, depending on your employer. Some people out there might hear this, particularly in the pandemic, and say, why not? What's the issue with giving some permanent leave and that guarantee of mandated sick time to employees? What's your concern? Yeah, it's a significant cost, really, at a time when businesses are just struggling to stay afloat right now with everything going on due to the pandemic. And, you know, traditionally, uh, a lot of small businesses haven't had as many guaranteed sick days, but they're always 
more flexible. You know, you're working very closely with the owner of the business usually, and you can find solutions without having to require some like a policy like 10 unpaid sick days. So certainly I think there's a concern out there that the federal government is going to try and really find a a permanent solution to a short-term problem, and that's very concerning for small business owners that are just worried about trying to pay uh, rent for June. Do we know what the average number of sick days someone in Manitoba might be getting right now? I don't know, to be completely honest, but I think a lot of it depends on what type of business you're in, Uh, you know, certainly whether or not you're working for a different level of government. Um, Usually governments have uh, more lucrative sick day policies, and some of them even have banked ones. But in the private sector, like I mentioned, a lot of small businesses, they have informal agreements. You know, if if you are sick, I'm, I'm sure that most business owners out there, if their staff were sick, and, you know, certainly to prevent them from coming into the workplace and sharing that and just make sure they can, um, you know, afford to stay home, I'm sure they would find those kind of solutions. And right now, I, I'm wondering why the federal government isn't maybe acknowledging that and why they're going forward with a blanket policy like this when you could, say, have a, a program kind of like the CERB program that was maybe there for those employees that do have COVID in the future to make sure that they can stay home and stay afloat. Jonathan, uh, I, I'm sure you can appreciate that, that the strong work ethic that some people have gets in the way often of making that good decision when you're not well. And I think for a lot of employers and employees, that's the reason their relationship works is because they're dedicated to getting the job done, but sometimes maybe a little bit too much. How do we strike that balance? Because I, I think in, in a lot of industries, it is the other way. That's my experience, that people don't stay home often enough they're they're far too often coming to work when unwell but it's because that culture doesn't either allow them doesn't feel like they should be allowed to stay home or there are financial implications for calling in sick how do we strike that balance well and and that's the question that the the, uh, the federal government and and really provincial governments will also have to have that's really critical that we're not quickly making a permanent solution to largely a short-term problem with COVID. You know, there, there are extremes on, on either side of the spectrum. You have people that probably should be staying home more than they do, uh, but they're, they're dedicated to working. And then there are people that might uh, possibly abuse the system and take sick days when, you know, they're not actually sick. But we need to be able to have these, di- uh, these debates, these dialogues, you know, in the House of Commons or with our provincial governments, this should not be a policy that's that's rammed through very quickly to try and find, again, a, a permanent solution to a short-term problem. And, it, like, for me, this kind of comes down to, you know, you're trying to to, to fix a, a nick in your wall by, by hanging a fr- uh, picture frame, but you're using, you know, a railroad spike and a sledgehammer. You're going to create more problems because you're going to end up with probably a program that, you know, most people won't ever need 10 sick days a year, but maybe some people will take advantage of that. And either way, a lot of employers can't afford this kind of a program uh, extension right now. Lots of questions around this, Jonathan, and you mentioned the idea that it's a short-term issue, and, and that's what we're hoping COVID potentially is. But the concept of introducing some sort of guaranteed sick leave time has been debated for years with, you know, again, back to some, the point that it might help create a more productive workforce if you know you don't have to go into work when you're really not feeling well. So given that it has been a topic of conversation long before COVID, and I'm going to guess long after, is there a number of days businesses are comfortable with? Is there a two, a three, a five guaranteed day 
number on the table that would make sense? And apologies, we only have about 30 seconds here. Yeah, we're definitely going to be looking at this. I mean, you know CFIB, we like to survey small business owners across the country, and I'm sure we'll be doing so to try and get a better sense of that. But again, we're going to need to make sure the governments give people enough time to have those debates and do that kind of research to make sure it can work for our small businesses and and their staff. Jonathan Allward, Prairie Director for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, joining us live on CJOB. Jonathan, thank you, sir. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we were talking earlier about movies that you hate the ending or TV series that you hate the ending. And, Greg, you said you generally find endings disappointing, and you're mm-hmm. trying to think of movies that have good endings. And Tim's suggesting a 204-780-6868, The Usual Suspects, has a good ending. Yeah, Kevin Spacey. Was it what? What was the name of his alternate? Uh, Kaiser Sose. There we go, Kaiser. I couldn't remember his first name. Yeah, so uh, I think that breaks the mold. See how often it jumps out at you when it's a good ending. Am I off base in suggesting Hollywood has a, a difficult time in ending movies, or is that just my own bias that I've been carrying around for a long time, Brad? I think it's your own bias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're <laughs> oh, wrong. Okay, you're wrong. Okay, all right. <laughs> Two okay. out of three, two out of three hosts agree. That is a statistically sound poll. <laughs> All right, that's fine. That's fine. We don't always have to agree. Another great en- movie ending too that it ha- it's similar to Usual Suspects in that kind of mind blowy fashion is uh, Memento. Lorena, have you ever seen Memento? I don't think so, but I am the worst for. I might have seen it twice and not known. Okay, like, it, so it's a it's just a little indie film from Christopher Nolan, but it's one of those movie endings where you go, "Oh my god!" because it just changes everything you've just seen, but it makes such perfect sense. Uh, it's like a perfect ending, as far as I'm concerned. So keep those texts coming at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight on movie endings you hated or perhaps movie endings that you like. But right now, there is something happening at Maple's Collegiate tomorrow. With a group of students who are excited to get off of Zoom, Loren, and put on a show. Yeah, every night at 7 o'clock, there's been musicians around the world taking out their instruments to honor essential workers during this pandemic. And the musicians, as we've seen in different videos, social media shares, they've lined the streets or they've stood on balconies or they've visited hospitals. So tomorrow night, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock in front of Maples Collegiate, that's at 1330 Jefferson Avenue, upwards of 50 students from the Maples Collegiate Wind Ensemble will join this global movement for a pop-up concert in honor of essential workers. Chloe Plamondon is the band teacher at Maples Collegiate, and she joins us now live on The Start. Good morning, Chloe. Hi, good morning. So Brett mentioned that students are excited to get uh, off of Zoom? Just how excited are they? Uh, I think they're... Our last rehearsal together was on Zoom. We haven't ever played this song together. Sorry, Chloe, I'm just going to jump in there. We had a mute Chloe? On Zoom where Chloe, can you hear us? Deliver instructions to oh, hang on a second. Uh, we're going to try to sort that out. Something... Uh, did you hear that little blip? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there was a click there, so I don't know if that just switched to a different sound or feature on her phone or what. Yeah, so we're, we're wondering if she went to... Can you, can she hear you, Jeff Fortier? 
Oh boy. Okay. So we're having a technical issue with Chloe where something happened with her phone. <laughs> so on top of the technical difficulties that we deal with, with not working out of the same room, uh, now we're having a situation with our phone. So Jeff Forte is going to uh, try to reconnect with her. So while we deal with that, uh, wind ensemble, Loren, was it your sister who played a woodwind? Well done with the memory. Yes, she played the oboe, which is delightful if you know what you're doing. If you, if you are, don't, if you're, you know, 12 years old and learning, you know what, if you're learning any instrument, let's be frank, it can be, it can be a screeching sort of bird type dying sound <laughs> that you're not necessarily <laughs> loving, but I love a good uh, wind ensemble. I'm, I've never been able to play any of those, but that's a great instrument. So well, well, let's try Chloe again. Chloe, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, we're not entirely sure what happened there. It sounded like like you switched to speakerphone, and then we just uh, we weren't able to to speak to you. So, uh, we'll try this again. Sure. We, we were just sure. asking you how excited the students were to get off of Zoom. Yeah, I think they're really excited to get off of Zoom. I know our last rehearsal together, we had uh, we do it on Zoom, so it's as if I'm delivering a lesson to a computer screen of kids in little boxes with instruments in their hands, but they're muted, and I'm just watching and. Hoping that they're hoping that they're getting it right. That's fascinating. I've got so many questions about this performance tomorrow night. But just sure. before we get there, how is the teaching going over Zoom like that? Because it's hard enough, you know, to get math lessons to go on video, but but band and listening for sounds, I can't imagine it all translates properly over a laptop. No, so we haven't found we have large pro classes too. So I'll have about eighty kids sometimes show up into a Zoom class. And it's just impossible to actually play together. So we've been really creative in, in getting kids to engage in musical activities different than playing together. So they've been practicing solo and reporting back. They've done written assignments. They've done lots of artwork. Uh, the Manitoba Band Association has put together some events for them to do that are, that are mostly solo. So it's been, uh, we've been really focusing on supplemental activities instead of actually playing together. So this, this performance that we're doing tomorrow night, I think, is a little bit of a, a glimmer of normalcy into the students' lives of being able to play together, albeit at a, at a distance. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, so the performance like this are typically done shoulder to shoulder. Chloe, uh, how are you going to work out the spacing? We have, well, we're going to, Mabel's Collegiate is a huge school and we've got tons of space and I'm assuming that it's going to go all the way from one end of the school to the other and then into the parking lot. Altogether, I think there's about 32 students coming up. So a team of custodians and some EAs who are working at Mabel's and I are going to spend the day marking out spots and measuring out six feet. If we can do more apart, we will, but kids will be six feet apart and, um, kind of like in a window formation so that no one's blowing into the back of the person behind them. And students are, they're out of any sort of cleanup duty. I'm going to do all the setting up and taking down and parents will drop them off in their car. They'll put together their instruments in the car and then, and then stand at their music stand and then head back. So we've, um, we've really taken a lot of safety precautions uh, seriously in, in putting together something like this. I was in the band in uh, junior high, but it was just the band. What's a, what's a wind ensemble? Uh, well, a wind ensemble, I heard you guys talking about the oboe there. A wind ensemble is, is a concert band, essentially. It's all the same instruments. It has a brass section, a woodwind section, and 
a percussion section and it's it's smaller than a concert band typically a concert band will invite every musician that wants to play and then the wind ensemble is an auditioned group that's much smaller than than our other groups our grade like for example our grade nine band runs at about 110 kids but the wind ensemble is about 50. I think it's so exciting for the kids to be able to figure out a way to come together without being too close together, Chloe. And on the other hand, you know, provide some entertainment for folks. Music has been missing from so many parts of our lives over the last few months because of cancellations of concerts or other things. And so I'm curious if you have other local musicians around Winnipeg taking part in, in this movement to entertain through this pandemic. You know, actually, I am just jumping on the backs of other band directors in the city who have, who have already started this. So Cynthia Weavers is a band director at Shaftesbury High School, and she started the movement of students playing at 7 o'clock p.m. outside on their driveways to honor essential workers. And she put together all kinds of sheet music for them to play that we've got online. And uh, I know then then Dan Steinhilber from Transcona High School, they've taken, they they grabbed it onto and they've been playing their students outside individually at seven o'clock. And then a group of professional trumpet players in Winnipeg, they've been playing outside hospitals and now nursing homes. And so like any good teacher, I'm stealing from excellent teachers I know. And, and so we're, we're joining in and, and this is our, our take on it. Chloe, your energy, your enthusiasm for this absolutely radiates over the phone and over the radio waves. I can sense how excited you are. I can only imagine you're as excited uh, as a teacher and inspiring as a teacher. So in the, in this difficult time and, and in terms of not being able to to work with uh, your group of students as you've been used to, to, just tell us for you just this personal challenge of being apart from your students because I've heard from a number of teachers just how difficult it's been because they know it's been difficult for the for their students yeah that's a that's such a good question and that's just kind of what breaks my heart the most is being away from our students and like I said we have a lot of kids in the program and the the 80% of them who show up are the kids who you know are doing great and they love it I'm not worried about and my heart seriously breaks for the, the 20% or so that, that we don't hear from. And you wonder how they're doing and you reach out as much as you can and you make hundreds of phone calls and text messages a week to try and, and get in touch with them. And, and you can't. And it's, it's really, really tough and heartbreaking to think about about them. And I know music is such a such an important part of these students is they they are such hardworking uh academics I would say in the school and athletes and they do so much and music is the music class and we're together is an hour and a half or an hour of their day where they put their phones away their brains can relax a little bit from the intensity or the rigor of their academics and and we can be together and empathize together and feel together and that's that's missing, you know, the heart of what happens in school and the joy that comes from being together and playing together. So I think doing so I'm really inspired to do something like this, even if it's even if we're six to eight feet apart, even if it I mean, we've never practiced together, so it could potentially be a gong show, but I hope not. And it won't. And it doesn't matter. It's just not the point, you know, and we'll be there and we'll be together and, and we'll play and, and share that and and hopefully it can bring a little glimmer of, of joy and peace into their hearts that's, that's been missing from playing a band together 
Chloe Plamondon is the band teacher at Maples Collegiate, joining us live on CJOB. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Once again, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock in front of Maples Collegiate at 1330 Jefferson Avenue, upwards of 50 students from the Maples Collegiate Wind Ensemble will be putting up a pop-up concert. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, $50 gift card for Food Fair up for grabs at 204-780-6868. Here we go. Here's the question. According to a new survey, 53% of employees say their workplace does not have one of these. What is it? Kevin, I will once again repeat the question for you here. According to a new survey, 53% of employees say their workplace does not have one of these. What is it? A fridge. A fridge? No, that's a great guess, though. Uh, the office fridge tends to be uh, become a biohazard yes. eventually. Susan, <laughs> do you know what it is? It would it be a cafeteria? Cafeteria? No, no. That, uh, that can you? All we ever had was a vending machine uh, here. Did, did did you ever work in a place? Did uh, Global mm-hmm. ever have a cafeteria or anything like that, Lauren? They don't never uh, in Winnipeg. But when I worked in Global Toronto, they had a cafeteria downstairs because obviously there was a far more people yeah. working, and that can be great, but it can be dangerous. I mean, you don't need fries three times a day. <laughs> Cecile, do you know what it is? Um, <laughs> one of the old computers. How old? Oh, like I a, guess like maybe. a forty-six. It's not the answer, though, but uh, great guess. Um, yeah, because our boss was talking about how, like, 20 years ago, they had one internet yeah. computer. The internet <laughs> yeah. computer. I was there for that. That was uh, when we used to be on St. Mary's uh, Road Global, and it was the one computer that had the World Wide Web. And then you just sort of, like, line up waiting to use it. <laughs> Michael. Like a 50, telex machine. 53% of employees say the workplace doesn't have one of these. What is it? Daycare. No, not daycare, but that's a good guess. Mm-hmm. Shirley, do you know what it is? Defibrillator. A defibrillator. Ooh, that's that not the answer, cool. but yeah, man, I never would have thought of that. Uh, I guess, Greg, if you're having fries three times a day, a defibrillator might come in handy. <laughs> They're probably a really good idea. There's one not too far away from where you're sitting. I think there's one in the gym, and then is there one in, is there one in the... Uh... Is there one in the kitchen? I think there's one on either side of the building, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're covered. So Kev- have those fries, Brett. Kevin, are you trying again? Uh, yeah, I'd like to get it wrong again, please. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go with uh, a co-ed washroom, a universal washroom. No, no, but that's uh, the, another great guess. We just uh, got those, I think, last year. Uh, Patrick, do you know? Uh, I'm going to try a water cooler. No, not a water cooler. Jeff, do you know? Fax machine? No. And sorry for the brevity of this. We're running out of time here, so now I'm just trying to oozy our way through this. Uh, Glenn, 53% of employees say their workplace doesn't have one of these. What is it? Uh, I guess uh, dress code. Glenn, can you repeat your answer, please? Uh, A dress code? Glenn, you, sir, are correct. Nice. I don't know what's better, the question or the answer. Are you are you still there, Glenn? Yes, I am. Okay, yeah, it's a dress code. Do you have a dress code where you work? Uh, I'm retired. Did you have, have a dress, no dress code? I have no I have no dress code now. <laughs> <laughs> neither do I. Neither do I. <laughs> Glenn, I'm going to put you on hold, buddy. Fifty dollar gift card for Food Fair. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I'm very glad. I mean, we we kind of have. I think our dress code here is what like 
just wear clothes, essentially? Pretty much. Yeah. No dressing gowns. That's basically the only limitation, I think. Yeah. I uh, sometimes wonder how... I think if I had to wear a shirt and tie to work every day just for what we do, it would it would stifle uh, any creativity. But I also know that dressing up, wearing a shirt and tie, uh, can make one feel powerful. So I guess it really depends on the role that you're in. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Sunday night cruise night has become a Winnipeg tradition. For most, it's an important an opportunity to show off the collector car or vehicle which has been modified in some way. I've seen the mystery machine, for example, from Scooby-Doo out on the roads of Winnipeg over the years, or simply a chance to show off your ride. For others, it's a chance to window shop for their dream vehicle. Yeah, but it has also had some deadly consequences as some people involved have turned that fun night uh, of showing off your vehicle into a night of racing, stunting, and other irresponsible behaviors. Winnipeg has a strong collector and exotic car culture. You can see it on display other nights of the week as well, Loren. Yeah, and that's why we want to change the gears in this conversation, so to speak, and no pun intended about the other possible concerning side of this. So, We want to share with you a letter that was addressed as an open letter to parents. It's written over concerns about speeding cars and racing in the Bridgewater area of Waverly West in the southwest part of Winnipeg. The letter begins like this. This message is for everyone, but is directed to parents with a request that you talk to your kids about the deathly dangers of speed. In my graduating year, two classmates died when a powerful car they were passengers in crashed and rolled. The following year, when I was 18, the doorbell rang one morning and the police informed my mom my sister, and two brothers, that our dad was killed in a vehicle crash. Lives changed forever. Parents, I might seem overly aggressive in my approach to road safety, and I apologize. I want to share with you what I witnessed this past Saturday night and ask you to please talk to your kids. And please share this message with other parents. This is the start of summer, of fun times, and hopefully a safe summer. Your help is appreciated. Those are the words of City Councillor for Waverly West, Janice Lukes. And Councillor Lukes joins us now. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Good That's morning. A part, I want to thank you for sharing those words and that reflection on, on what happened to you and your father, because that's something I wasn't even aware of myself, even after all the conversations we've had with you over those years. And that might even be what some of your constituents are feeling, that they didn't know this. I'm curious what you're hearing back from parents when it comes just to the revelation of the personal impact in your own life uh, to a car accident. Well, you know, I mean, it's not something you really, I don't know, you don't run around and talk about. But, you know, um, I know people think I may be a little excessive and a little focused on road safety. But you know what? It's it's completely, you cannot explain that feeling. You cannot explain the experience. You cannot explain how your life has changed forever unless you've experienced it. You know, um, not to add to it, but when I was uh, 32, my brother died in a plane crash. So we've had a lot of drama in our lives. And and things can happen in a second, in two seconds, and lives are changed forever. And, um, yeah, so I'm a little aggressive on this whole road safety thing and pedestrian safety and safe walking and cycling. And, and I'm motivated by it because... I I know the impacts. I know what it feels like. 
So you outline in detail at your website, JaniceLukes.ca, what you witnessed. But can you just give us a snapshot of what's happening in Bridgewater parking lots and the streets of that part of the city? Yeah, so it's not really a secret, but uh, everyone knows that uh, 10 o'clock on Saturday nights, Friday and Saturday nights, sometimes Sunday, we had it on the long weekend every night, a group of uh, vehicles and drivers gather in the Save on Fruits parking lot. Um, and and then, you know, basically we hear the noise. We hear the cars revving. We hear the racing up and down Keniston. And so I thought, you know, our residents and I would just go and uh, sit there and see what happens on Saturday night. Um, you know, some people may criticize me saying, well, that's not a counselor's job. And I say to them, well, you know what, there is no, <laughs> there's no handbook on what a counselor does. But I thought, you know, when you go firsthand and see things, you get a whole other perspective. So we sat there at quarter to 10, and uh, by about 20 after 10, 40 cars and trucks had driven into the parking lot, all lined up. Very beautiful, hot cars, supercars, expensive cars, rebuilt cars, trucks, you name it. And, and the kids got out, and I'm saying kids because you know what? I looked at the demographics. So the demographics were very young kids, 18 to 24, um, male, female. Um, lots of kids, two to three to a car, um, having a good time, right? Picking up pizza, having a good time. And then basically at about quarter after 10, they got in their vehicles. They were uh, a white uh, half-ton truck was the leader, and they took off. So the resident and I said, well, let's join in the in this and follow them. So we, we turned onto North Town Road and left the parking lot and went north on Keniston, we got to, you know, a red light and eight cars turned left on the red light on Keniston, which is 80, kilometer hour, 80 kilometers an hour, and just sped off. Had we not stopped, I'm sure others would have gone. So we followed them. It was raining. The roads were slick. We followed them uh, onto Keniston. They were going extremely fast, whizzing past us. You know, we got by Home Depot, uh, Lowe's. Boosh, they were all going by. So eventually we got on Keniston at Grant and we said, well, this is ridiculous. They're all gone. Let's just turn around and go back. So we turned around to go back. And at the McGilvery and Keniston intersection, there was a huge collision. There was a crash. There were two cars that had crashed. So, you know, I mean, me, I just get this sick feeling in the bottom of my stomach, right? You know, you see all these young kids. They're just so beautiful and healthy and happy. And you're wondering, so is this, is this two, two of these kids, two of the cars with kids in them? Who is it? Or is it someone who ran a red light and two other cars may have crashed trying to avoid someone running a red light? That's one of the most dangerous intersections, collision intersections in the city. Anyway, so we went back. We sat, went back to the Save on Foods parking lot to kind of just go, wow, and discuss what we experienced. Another, a few other cars drove up started um, drifting, <laughs> um, basically spinning around in the parking lot, revving their engines. And uh, I had called police when they had gone through, uh, eight cars had gone through the red light and filed a police report. Um, the police showed up when we got back there, and I spoke to them and just sort of relayed the situation. They had a lot going on on Saturday night. I was very appreciative that they showed up. Um, and then they went and talked to a couple cars. We left, and, and I proceeded south on Keniston, and we have this beautiful Altea uh, fitness center with a massive parking lot, and there were another 20 vehicles sitting in there, um, not drifting because there wasn't enough space, but they were just hanging out, I don't know, waiting. 
um, you know, we got some plate numbers. We have a webcam or whatever the camera is on the car. But, you know, we reported it. Um, I'm encouraging residents to report it. You know, the police are doing, I guess, what they can do. Um, residents are reporting it. But I just thought, you know what, when I looked at those kids, these are, these are kids. These kids can't afford that car, that vehicle, and live in an apartment on their own. So in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, but clearly the majority of them are living at home. So some of them, their parents may not be here, but I would say the majority of the ones that I saw are living at home. So I thought, you know what? I'm putting a letter out to the parents on my Facebook page and Twitter. (laughs) I don't know if it's going to do any good, but, you know, I appreciate you giving me this platform to speak about this too. Well, it's a very dangerous situation uh, and potentially even more dangerous if this continues. You you, you know that uh, people get braver the more things they get away with. Uh, Janice, this this whole idea of, of, you know, you saying it's it's no secret that this takes place. Uh, Are we going to guess that police knew about this uh, regardless or ahead of you phoning them and letting them know? And uh, just uh, quickly before we let you run here, just this idea of there's another part of this equation, right? And that is people who might be responsible for these individuals, whether they're uh, under 18 or over 18. Uh, If you're giving them access to your vehicle or they live under your house, you might want to know what they're up to and you might want to have a talk to them uh, about uh, why this might not be the best idea uh, and best way for you to spend your time. Well, I know the police are very aware that these uh, these events occur because I've talked to them many times about it. Residents have reported it. Um, I, I requested, I, you can't tell the police what to do, but I asked that they put some ghost cars there on Saturday and Friday's night, Friday nights and just sort of observe what, what we did and follow and take part. And, you know, one of the things, too, about 10 cars didn't have license plates on them. I think they probably take their plates off when they're racing so that if they do go through cameras or such, they're not, you know, caught. Other, a couple other ones had those reflective plates. Um, you know, I, I just hope, I just hope nothing bad happens, but something will because you can't go through red lights and you can't race like that and not have bad things happen. So, and I don't know what caused the collision at McGillivray, whether it was a red light being raced or if it was one of them. I don't know, but I tell you, you, you lose someone close to you in a second in a heartbeat and, and it's a devastation. And uh, I hope parents, I hope parents who've got kids who've got hot cars, sit them down and have a talking with them. I don't know if it'll do any good, but, you know, we have to try everything we can. Janice Luke, City Councillor for Waverly West, joining us live on CJOB. Janice, thank you so much for this. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. And again, if you want to read the full blog post, go to JaniceLukes.ca. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on the start question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by credit aid helping manitobans get out of debt since 1992 visit creditaid.ca call 204-987-6890 will you explore manitoba more this summer so far 35 percent say yes but won't go far 15 percent say yes already have plans to visit a few places i've never been 13 percent say no still planning to travel interprovincially and 37 percent say no can't afford it cast your vote at cjob.com and on twitter 
at 680CJOB. And Loren, uh, I had been planning to treat myself. I was going to take myself out to Alberta and stay at the uh, Banff uh, Fairmont Springs and play their golf course, which is apparently legendary. But I think I might have to go up to the place you love to, to go, uh, Riding Mountain. I've never gone there. I've never played Clear Lake. So I think maybe that's going to be in the offing this summer. Yeah, just switch your national parks. You're not getting to Banff National Park, but you'll get to Riding Mountain National Park. So that might be an option for you. Although, quick note, they're not open yet either. I think that might be coming as early as June 1st, but they're technically still closed. And so all these changing schedules have a lot of us making adjustments to our summer plans. Money, that's going to be a big part of the equation for many Manitobans who may have lost their jobs or are waiting to see if they'll be returning to work soon. And then there is, of course, like you mentioned, that question of where you can go and what the different rules might be, Greg, when it comes to interprovincial travel and, of course, that U.S.-Canada border, which is still shut down, Greg. Yeah, non-essential travel allowed in between Canada and the United States, and that's obviously going to affect the place we're going next. It means a lot of people exploring this province, but will that be enough We know that a lot of tourism in Manitoba are Manitobans uh, exploring their own place. But did you know that the industry supports tens of thousands of jobs in Manitoba? And, uh, well, COVID-19 could cost hundreds of millions of dollars to that tourism economy, particularly in places that rely on international travel. Churchill, right at the top of the list of those locations that rely on international travel. Joining us now is the mayor of that wonderful place on Hudson Bay, Mayor Michael Spence. Good morning, sir. Morning. So tour operators in Churchill, uh, I know you're you're part of that uh, group. Have there been a lot of cancelled trips or people sitting on the fence? Where, where are things right now? Well, it's a combination of both. Naturally, with the beluga season, uh, there are some cancellations. Uh, we're getting cancellations for the upcoming bear season as well. So it's it's not looking good. Naturally, we're concerned, like uh, like other tour operators throughout uh, throughout the world, for that matter. It's been a rough couple of years for Churchill. It was 18 months ago. The train got back up and running after it was washed out in a flood. Are you feeling like you just can't catch a break? <laughs> You know, I, I think, uh, you know, last year was, uh, it was a bit of a, you know, a climb a bit where, you know, we got the rail line up and running. We had uh, influx of, uh, uh, you know, Canadians, international travelers coming back in. And all of a sudden we get this COVID thing. So I think COVID has also affected the weather here. I mean, we're probably down to zero here. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good situation. What do you do with all that, Michael? You know, the challenges that your community and the resilience that you showed during that long stretch, months on end, that that rail line was washed out and you still weathered that storm. When something like this hits and you see the impact it could have, wide-sweeping impact on your town, what worries do you have for uh, not just being, you know, temporary closures for businesses, but permanent ones and, and the loss of residents and, and all the rest? You know, one thing I need to say right up front is that the resilience of the community um, is uh, is rock solid. I mean, yes, we've gone through some tough times, but we, we managed to stick together. We work collectively together. In this case, we travel Manitoba. We continue to reach out, uh, reaching out to the federal government, provincial government in terms of, you know, solutions. So we're all about solution-based. So, yes, you know, we'll pick back up and uh, we'll be okay. But the fact of the matter is we need to continue to collectively work together. As you know, the rail line was upgraded through the federal government support. And, and again, we, we 
you know, it's uh, we're 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 pretty impressed with what the federal government continues to do, but also. Uh, you know, uh, mentioning the importance what the the importance of what the provincial government has done in terms of travel Manitoba. Absolutely. So Mayor Spence, we threw out the idea that so many Manitobans uh, would love to go to Churchill, but immediately you get the text message or the feedback. Oh, it's so expensive. It's it's cheaper to go to Mexico or it's cheaper to go to name name your location in the in the lower forty eight states of of America. Is there an opportunity here maybe to find a way to make it more financially viable for Manitobans to get to Churchill, maybe even just for this one year? Is that an approach that maybe we could take and, and lobby? I don't know who we would have to talk to to, to make it more affordable, but I, I can't help but think that this is an opportunity to do that. Yeah, you know, we uh, we had this uh, discussion with Travel Manitoba, with the Rail and and calm air in terms of you know uh, marketing churchill within manitoba uh, the importance of making that happen the importance of reducing costs like that um, so there's naturally we're working on that uh, but i mean that'll only happen if uh, if we all stick together and make sure it's attractive for manitobans to come to churchill so we're working on that absolutely what kind of stuff can you do up there during the summer during the summer months, uh, when the belugas are in here, probably uh, mid-July to mid-September, a lot of a lot of beluga whales, uh, kayaking. Well, we don't snorkel anymore, but uh, uh, but the importance of really seeing the coastline. The uh, Churchill is such a beautiful place, like surrounded by water. You know, the Hudson Bay on, way, on one side, the Churchill River, the uh, you know, the marine atmosphere that's here, the beluga whales, the, the bears that you see along the coast, uh, it's uh, actually it's quite an exciting place. And, and, and Manitobans need to come out. And we encourage them to come out and show them a little bit about uh, the importance of a, an ocean province. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, that we are an ocean province. I think you're probably right that the fact that you have to go pretty far to see that is one thing, but forgetting that it might even be there is another, Michael. Um, right now, technically, we aren't supposed to travel north of that 53rd parallel, basically in the Paw area, but we know that's going to change in the days, if not weeks ahead. Have you been given a date to when that travel restriction might ease or you might see some changes there? Because that'll be a big part of the equation, too, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's the next part of, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, what's phase two going to look like. So, I mean, naturally, there are going to be some challenges. There are going to be some differences, naturally, smaller groups, uh, you know, type of tours that will probably change. Uh, you know, really, it's it's uh, it's all about a change happening. So we got to get used to that for the time being, you know. So we're working with our health officials, you know, on the importance of reaching out to health officials and, and being connected and, and continuing to do the outreach and making sure that, uh, you know, we're plugged in, we understand what's going on. And, and naturally, we have a play a role to play in terms of, you know, those type of recommendations that would come out of that. Is there a chance uh, for this to turn around, turn around yet? Is there some time for some things to uh, to work in your favor? I, I see that Spain is is talking about welcoming international travelers sooner than later. Uh, any sense there? I know you're an optimistic guy, Mayor Spence. Well, uh, you know what? Uh, naturally, you know, as you know, uh, 
you know, provinces are rolling out the next steps. And we see that opportunity nationally. Like I said, you know, numbers will change in terms of how big your groups are. There's going to be different. It's a it's going to be a whole new environment now. Um, there's going to be some restrictions that we need to be mindful of the fact that uh, collectively it's a, a new phase, a new world, ways of doing things differently. Um, you know, we're, we're just uh, we just got to get through this naturally. Mayor Michael Spence joining us live on 680 CJOB from Churchill. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you for the interest. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.